Hey, Bible, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Y'all podcast for Thursday, December 21st. Happy Yule, which honestly makes me a little uncomfortable to say, given what it is. But it's today, and it's associated with Christmas for some reason. So here we are. Yule is held on the winter solstice, which today also is. But wishing y'all a happy winter solstice ain't no better, given that every pagan and their brother had some kind of celebration for the darkest, coldest time of the year, when everything dies creepy bunch that they are. Y'all ever sing Deck the Halls that talks about Yuletide carols and the blazing Yule before us? Well, Yule is the German Lunar Winter Festival in December and January, and can be traced back through the Vikings, probably all the way to Nimrod. The blazing Yule was a birch log that supposedly symbolized ancient human sacrifice, but by the time the Germans got a hold of it, it was about reincarnation. And to do it right, a piece of the log was supposed to be kept burning all year. So yeah, it's either more paganism trying to undermine the birth of Jesus, or it's more paganism that's been overshadowed by the birth of Jesus, depending on whether you're a glass half full kind of person. Today is also Anne and Samantha Day, which celebrates Samantha Smith, a child actress who wrote a letter to the Russians in 1982 asking them not to bomb us, and Anne Frank, who was an 11-year-old Jewish girl in Amsterdam who went into hiding with her family after Hitler took over. She kept a diary about it, up until they were found, that is, and she was killed in Auschwitz. Now, how a privileged actress got equated with Anne Frank, I don't know. But I bring it up to point out how if you start at Babylon, you can follow these pagan rituals all the way up to the Nazis, killing Jews the whole way. So now that I cheered all y'all up, our reading for today is Zechariah 1, 1-21, Revelation 12, 1-17, Psalm 140, 1-13, and Proverbs 30, verse 17. So if y'all are ready, well darn, Bible Y'all Paul really jingles all the way, don't he? But before we get to the reading, let's me and the squad do a review of yesterday's study. Okay, so yesterday on the 20th in the Old Testament, we read Haggai 1-1 through 2-23. And remember back in Ezra chapter 4 when the Jews got permission to rebuild the temple, but then Artaxerxes shut them down? And in verse 24, it said, Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, unto the second year of the reign of Darius the king of Persia. Remember that? Well, that's where Haggai picks up. And the book was probably written about 520 BC, because it says in the second year of Darius the king. Haggai explicitly dated his prophecies down to the very day. He gave four prophecies over five months in 520, mostly about rebuilding the temple. So, verse 1, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, so 18 years after their return from exile in Babylon, which was in 538 BC, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. And he was the grandson of Jeconiah, who was carried away captive to Babylon, and apparently next in line for the throne. So the word came to him and to Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, who was the son of Sariah, who was high priest when Jerusalem was taken, and who was killed at Riblah. So, the prophet Haggai is involving the spiritual and governmental authorities in whatever is about to go down. And the gist of his message is, God says it's time to rebuild his house. But all y'all mealy-mouthed cowards are saying it ain't time yet. Well, is it time for you to dwell in your sealed houses while God's house lies waste? And the word sealed means to cover, like a table with a cloth or a floor with a carpet. And what it refers to is a house that's got interior paneling, usually wood, 
which indicates a pretty nice house. Think about the word ceiling and you get the idea. So Haggai is calling him out for falling back into that same old pattern of living high off the hog while the temple lays in ruins, for them ignoring their responsibilities to God and siding with the world instead. And the Lord's like, y'all better think hard about this. Consider your ways. Ain't y'all even noticed that no matter how hard y'all work, there's never enough? Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. He says, don't y'all get why that is? It's because y'all are ignoring me. You looked for much and it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Because of mine house that is waste. That's why. So go get some wood, go up to the mountain and get started. And I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Then, miracle of miracles, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the remnant of the people obeyed God and Haggai the prophet. And the people did fear before the Lord, and they came and did work in the house of the Lord. Imagine that. And verse 15 says it took him about three weeks to get started. In chapter 2, about a month or so later, he gets another word. It says, Speak to Zerubbabel and Joshua, and tell them to be strong and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Which is reassuring. He says, All them promises I made when I brought y'all out of Egypt are still in force. So just a little while longer, and God's going to make some noise in the world and I will fill this house with glory. And the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. And in this place will I give peace. And part of that did happen, and part has not happened yet. Notice he said, in this place will I give peace, and not in this house. Because this particular house gets torn down in 70 AD. But Jesus will one day rule from this place. And remember, prophecy is deliberately not explicit, mostly because God doesn't want for just anybody to understand too much. So even though there's so much we have to try to figure out, you never want to read more into the word than it actually says. Anyway, a couple months later, he gets another word. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh, which is meat for the sacrifice, in other words, in the skirts of his garment, and with his skirt do touch something common and not holy, like bread or pottage or wine or oil or any random meat, shall any of that stuff be made holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Okay, then, ask him this. If somebody that is unclean from handling a dead body touches any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. Okay, then, from now on, I want you to consider this. Remember back in the day when y'all brought in your corn and you figured you'd get 20 measures out of a heap, but you only got 10? Well, back then, I smote y'all's corn with blights and mildew and stuff, trying to get y'all to turn away from those satanic gods and turn back to me. But understand something. Right now there's no seed in the barn, nor has as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. But from this day forward, when y'all finally laid the foundation of my house, from this day will I bless you, which is cool. And then three days later he gets the final word. It says, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the kingdoms of the heathen and the chariots and those that ride in them and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day will I take thee, Zerubbabel, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord. And a signet is the seal of the king, something you took care of and kept safe, because you don't want just anybody speaking for the king like that. It says, for I have chosen thee to be ruler of my people, which is a high honor. But the thing is, Zeb was an old man, probably pushing 80, and probably died shortly after he got this word. And what that means is, 
Zeb's a type of Christ, in the sense that David was a type of Christ. So to say Zeb was a type of David may be a better way to put it, but nobody ever says it that way. What I'm getting at is that was prophecy. So the house of God is a higher priority than the walls around Jerusalem that protect it. The temple was built 70 years before Nehemiah arrived to build the walls, which is kind of interesting. Those aren't exactly natural considerations. And a couple things stick out to me. First, the people were stirred by God's prophet. First, the people repented. And then God stirred up the leaders, the religious and political, to build the temple. That's in verse 14. As an American, this particularly caught my attention, and I hope you're praying for America, whether she's your home or not. And then in the New Testament, we read Revelation 11, 1 through 19, and this is all about the temple and the two witnesses. So verse 1, and there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. That's interesting. Measure the people too. Yeah. Take account of them maybe. In Jericho and Zechariah, measuring was usually a prelude to judgment. So maybe that's why we measured the people in the temple. And in order to do this, there has to be a temple in Jerusalem, which there ain't yet, but they're working on it. And verse 2, But the court which is without the temple, leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. So leave out the Gentile court? Why? Is it because there's a giant Muslim temple standing there right now? Or... Since leave out in Greek is ekbale, to throw out or to cast out, maybe it's cause the Gentiles have tread the holy city underfoot, so forget them, throw them out. And this says to me we're talking about the earthly temple and not the heavenly representation of it, cause in the Lord there is neither Jew nor Gentile or male or female or stuff. And verse 3, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand and two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. And that's better translated, the two witnesses of mine. And they'll make trouble for the B system three and a half years. It's 3.45 years by our calendar. But the Jews use, or they did back in the day, a 360-day calendar, which makes it exactly three and a half years. Everybody used a 360-day calendar before 701 BC. And then everybody changed over to 365. So what y'all reckon happened to cause that? And don't try to tell me everybody in the world just suddenly got better at tracking the days. Because the seasons were drastically important to desert farmers. And they still are. And if your calendar is off by five days a year, you're losing a month every six years. couple cycles like that, and you're all dead. <laughs> now, I do know in the book of Isaiah, after dinner on Passover night, which was March 20th, 701 BC, an angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. And I know there's a theory that with the Earth having a 360-day orbit and Mars having a 720-day orbit, that would bring those two planets real close together every so often, enough for gravitational tides to wreak havoc. And according to that theory, it explains why a lot of biblical catastrophes happened in either March or October until 701 BC. So some people think that maybe that year Mars and Earth got too close and got inside what they call the Roche limit, which is the distance two celestial bodies that are big enough to be held together by their own gravity can get to each other before bad things start to happen. But, Bible y'all Paul, that's crazy talk. Well, maybe it is, maybe it ain't. But if you ever read Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift, Gulliver meets some astronomers in Laputa who brag that they know about two moons of Mars, while the astronomers in London don't know about them. Which is true, they didn't. Swift even describes the sizes, the periods, and the orbits of the two moons fairly accurately. Thing is, though, 
Swift published Gulliver's Travels in 1726, 151 years before the two moons of Mars, what they called Deimos and Phobos, which means fear and panic, were even discovered. The telescopes weren't good enough to see them till the mid-1800s because they're real small and have almost no albedo, meaning they don't reflect any light. So either Swift is a really, really good guesser, or what some people think is he read this off of some ancient Chinese documentation that he had access to for some reason. But again, how would the Chinese know about these moons unless they'd seen them? And how would they see them unless the planets came close enough every 50 or 100 years or so? And I only bring that up to illustrate how God uses his own calendars. He's not concerned with whatever's happened since to this banged up fallen universe that he's about to get rid of anyway. We need to conform to him. He doesn't conform to us. But y'all can track all that down on your own later. Anyway, two witnesses. Just like Joshua sent into Jericho. Two witnesses that didn't really accomplish anything militarily except to get Rahab saved. So that's kind of a coincidence. But anyway, verse 5 And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. So I imagine the beast system will want to kill them, but they won't be allowed to, not yet. Because these have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. And have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So Jerusalem is here called Sodom and Egypt. That's disconcerting. And notice this is the first time the Antichrist is mentioned of being in power on the earth. And notice where he came from, out of the pit. So he must be Abaddon then. And verse 9 says, And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. The beast won't let them be buried. And three and a half days, like the three and a half years, is that what that's supposed to mean? Verse 10, And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And this is the only celebration on the earth in Revelation. It's basically satanic Christmas. Verse 11, And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them, which I'll bet. Uh. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. It's another rapture, but this time everybody sees it. Verse 13, And in the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. Verse 14, The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. So seven thousand men. The Greeks suggest that these guys were important people of some kind. So I don't know how many in all, but Jerusalem is a pretty big city, and ten percent would be more than seven thousand. And verse 15, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And that's good, but that don't mean anything's over yet. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come. Notice that little trinity there. Because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Thou hast begun to reign is more accurate way to translate and verse 18, And the nations were angry, which I bet they were. And thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. 
And destroy here means corrupt. It's not ecological. It's just referring to the ones who follow the destroyer. And why are the nations angry? They want to have their own way. And everybody has had their own way up until now. And verse 19, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. And I know a guy who, because of this verse, preaches that the ark of the covenant is in heaven right now. And maybe, but I don't think so. Because number one, this verse doesn't say that. It just says it's there at this point. And B, the Jews need it for the new temple they're building. And Messler says, the original ark has always been in heaven. The one on the earth was a replica, which is indicated by Hebrews 9.23. And some people think that the mercy seat on top of the ark will be the very throne that Christ sits on when he reigns. But anyway, that's as far as we read. The two witnesses in Jerusalem, like Moses and Elijah, there is going to be a showdown. Deliverance from Egypt, the world system, and Baal worship is coming down. They testify with signs and wonders for three and a half years until the beast kills them because they're offending everyone with the truth. And after three and a half days, when everyone knows they are dead, God calls them up and they go, all eyes on them. Supernatural disasters follow, terrifying those that live through them. And they gave glory to God. Yet it doesn't sound like they repented. And then in Psalms, we read Psalm 139, verse 1 through 24. And that's to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. And it's a Psalm glorifying God for his omniscience, his all-knowing. It says, God knows you're sitting down and you're getting up and you're walking around and you're thinking and talking. You're forward and backward and everywhere else. In verse 6, David says he can't even understand that. I mean, where exactly am I supposed to go to get away from you? Nowhere, that's where. Ask Jonah. <laughs> yeah. And verse 14 says, I will praise thee. And that's probably your best bet. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. So remember that next time you get down on yourself. It says, I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Not literally. He's just saying nobody can really understand the ways of God and his creation. He says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. He's saying, you are all God can think about. So darn. So depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. But with perfect hatred, not just emotional, not just vengeance-centered hatred. And that's worth a little meditation. So search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So that was a really good prayer. Yeah. This is one of my first favorite psalms. God always sees me. There's no darkness in him, no darkness that he can't pierce, and nothing takes God by surprise. And this prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful, grievous way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. God knows our hearts. The tests, the temptations, and trials reveal our hearts to us, but God isn't surprised as he watches what we do with that information. This is a proactive prayer, asking God's help before the test, the trial comes, to expose the impurity so it can be removed. And then in Proverbs, we read Proverbs 30, verses 15 and 16. And this is about greed, or really more accurately, appetites. It says, The horse leech hath two daughters, crying, Give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not it is enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not it is enough. 
And nobody knows exactly what a horse leech is, but it's probably what it sounds like, a giant blood-sucking parasite. Either way, these are all very dangerous things that he's comparing to unchecked appetite. Now, I read that the horse leech is a generic name for any blood-sucking worm-like creature, like you said, and that there are various species in the marshes and pools of Israel. This particular leech is not used for medicinal purposes because of its coarseness and bite. They fasten to the tongue and nostrils of horses when they come to drink. But that's the end of our review of yesterday's study. Thanks for your help, babe. Our reading in the Old Testament for December 21st is Zechariah 1, 1-21. The Book of Zechariah In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways, and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us, according to our ways, and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. Upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Sabbat, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo the prophet, saying, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse. And he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind him were there red horses speckled and white. Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will shew thee what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees, and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still, and is at rest. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem, and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem, and for Zion with great jealousy, and I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Therefore thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities, through prosperity, shall yet be spread abroad. And the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Then lifted I up mine eyes, and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord shewed me four carpenters. Then said I, What come these to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. Our reading in the New Testament for December 21st is Revelation 12, 1-17. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, 
and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God, and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Our reading in Psalms for December 21st is Psalm 140, 1-13. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man, which imagine mischiefs in their heart. Continually are they gathered together for war. They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips. Selah. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent man, who have pursued to overthrow my goings. The proud have hid a snare for me, and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set gins for me. Selah. I said unto the Lord, Thou art my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, Thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked, further not his wicked device, lest they exalt themselves. Selah. As for the head of those that compass me about, let the mischief of their own lips cover them. Let the burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire into deep pits, that they rise not up again. Let not an evil speaker be established in the earth. Evil shall hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. And our reading in Proverbs for December 21st is Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. And that'll do it for the 21st. All right, y'all, let's do our 30-second meditation. Today's prayer is on Ecclesiastes 3.5, which says, A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. 
a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. So hit the 30 second back button on your podcast player a few times and meditate with me for a little while on the love and justice of God, because prayer is the heavy artillery in the armor of God. So if you're ready, let's go. Father God, when Jesus dwelt among us 2000 years ago, he preached a radical message of unconditional love. Whereas we had been stoning those guilty of sin, he taught that we should cast away stones in the name of his forgiveness. One day soon, Jesus will return, not to embrace the world, but to judge it. And it will be once again time to gather stones. May we be washed in the blood of Jesus, so on that day we are judged on his righteousness and not ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that's all the Bible yawling I got for you tonight. Thank you, Father, for letting us study your word and for the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Please bless and keep everybody listening and let this podcast be helpful to them somehow. Amen. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google CastBox, and Facebook. If you like Bible Y'all and you want to support it, best thing y'all can do is to pray for me and Bible Y'all Squall and all our friends and family. And if you got any prayer requests, email them to BibleYallPodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, just go on out and try to make the world a better place. And if you can't make things any better, just try not to make them any worse. Thanks, everybody, and God bless y'all. Hey, Bible, y'all. Dessert farmer. It says dessert farmers. (laughs) (laughs) You wanted cookies. I still want cookies, but... (laughs) That's not what I'm trying to say here.